0: chapter 8 of star hunter this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by leone rose star hunter by andre norton chapter 8 a subdued but steady light all around him issued from stark gray walls he lay on his back in an empty cell room and he'd better be on the move before Darfu comes to enforce a rising order with a powerful kick or one of those backhanded blows which the Salarkian used to reduce most humans to helpless obedience. Vi blinked again, but this wasn't his cubbyhole at the Starfall. His nose as well as his eyes told him that. There was no hint of uncleanliness or corruption here. He sat up stiffly, looked down at his own body in dull wonder. The only covering on his bare, brown self was a wide, scaled belt and a loincloth. Clumsy sandals shot his feet, and his legs, up to thigh level, were striped with healing scratches and blotched with bruises. Painfully, with mental processes as stiff as his arms and his legs, he tried to think back. Sluggishly, memory associated one picture with another. Last night, or yesterday... Rinch Brody had been locked in here, and here was one of the storage compartments of a spacer belonging to a man named Wass. It had been Wasp's pilot in the flitter, which snaked them from the river islet where the monsters had besieged them. This was a concealed, fortified camp, Was hideout, and he was a prisoner with a very uncertain future, depending upon the will of the Veep, and a man named Hume. Hume, the out-hunter, had shown no surprise when Was stood up in the lamplight to greet the rescued. "'I see you have been hunting.' His eyes had moved from Hume to Rinch and back again. "'Yes, but that does not matter.' The hunter had returned impatiently. "'No. Then what does?' "'This is not a free world. I have to report that. Get my sieves off-planet before something happens to them.' "'I thought all Safari Worlds were certified as free,' Was countered. "'This one isn't. "'I don't know how or why, but that fact has to be reported, and the sieves lifted.' "'Not so fast.' Was voice had been quiet, almost gentle. "'Such a report would interest the patrol, would it not?' "'Of course,' Hume began, and then stopped abruptly. Was smiled. "'You see, complications already.' I do not wish to explain anything to the patrol. Nor do you either, my young friend, not when you stop to think about what might result from such explanations. There wouldn't have been any trouble if you'd kept away from Jamala. Hume's control had returned. Both voice and manner were under tight rein. Weren't Roval's reports explicit enough to satisfy you? I have risked a great deal on this project, Was replied. Also, it is well from time to time for a veep to check upon his field operatives. Men do not grow careless when personal supervision is ever in mind. And it is well that I did arrive here, is it not, Hunter? Or would you have preferred remaining on that island? Whether any of our project may be salvaged is a point we must consider. But for the moment we make no moves. No, Hume, your sieves will have to take their chances for a time." And if there is trouble, Hume challenged him, a report of an alien attack will bring in the patrol quickly enough. You forget Rovald, Was corrected. The chance that one of your sieves can activate and transmit from the spacer is remote, and Rovald will see that it is impossible. You have picked up Brody, I see. Yes. No. What had possessed him at that moment to contradict? HE HAD REALIZED THE FOLLY OF HIS OUTBURST THE MOMENT Wasp HAD LOOKED AT HIM. THIS BECOMES MORE INTERESTING, THE VEEP HAD REMARKED, WITH THAT DECEPTIVE GENTLENESS. YOU ARE, RINCH, BRODY, CAST AWAY FROM THE LARGO drift, ARE YOU NOT? I TRUST THAT OUT-HUNTER HUME HAS MADE PLAIN TO YOU OUR CONCERN WITH YOUR WELFARE, GENTLE HOMO BRODY. I'M NOT BRODY. HAVING TAKEN THE LEAP INTO THE DANGEROUS TRUTH, HE WAS STUBBORN ENOUGH TO CONTINUE SWIMMING. I find this enlightening indeed. If you are not Brody, then who are you? That had been it. At that moment he couldn't have told Was who he was, explained that his patchwork of memories had gaping holes. And you, out-hunter— Wasp's reptilian regard had moved again to Hume. Perhaps you have an adequate explanation for this discovery? None of his doing, he burst out. I remembered. Some inexplicable emotion made Rinch defend Hume, then. Hume laughed, and there was a reckless edge to that sound. Yes, was your techs are not as good as they pretend to be. He didn't follow the pattern of action they set for him. A pity. But there are always errors when one deals with a human factor. Peek! One of the other three men moved towards them. You will escort this young man to the spacer. See him safely stowed for the present." yes a pity now we must see just how much can be salvaged then vi had been brought into the shop supplied with a ration container and left to himself within this bare walled cabin to meditate upon the folly of talking too freely why had he been so utterly stupid veeps of wasp caliber did not swim through the murky channels of the starfall but their general breed had smaller but just as vicious representatives there, and he knew the man for what he was—ruthless, powerful, and thorough. A sound, slight but easily heard in the silent vacuum of the storage cabin, alerted him. The crack of the sliding panel door opened, and Vi crouched, his hand cupping the only possible weapon—the ration container. Hume edged through shut the door behind him. He stood there, his head turned so his ear rested against the wall. Obviously he was listening. You brain-smoothed idiot! The hunter's voice was a thread of whisper. Why couldn't you have kept that swinging jaw of yours closed last night? Now listen, and listen good. This is a slim try, but it's one we have to take. We? was startled into asking. Yes, we. By rights, I ought to leave you right here to do the rest of your big, brave speech-making for Wasp's benefit. If I didn't need you, that's just what I would do. If it weren't for those sieves—' His head snapped back, cheek to panel. He was listening again. After a long moment, his whisper came once more. "'I don't have time to repeat this. In about five minutes, Peek'll be here with rations. I'll leave this door unlatched.' There's another storage cabin across the corridor. See if you can hide there. Then trick him into getting in here and lock him in. Got it?' Vi nodded. Then, make for the exit port. Here. He snapped a packet loose from his belt. "'This is a flare-pack. You saw how they worked on the island. When you get on the ramp beyond the atom-lamp, throw this. It should hit the camp-force barrier. And the result ought to hold their attention.' Then you head for the flitter. Understand? Yes. The flitter, yes, that was the perfect escape. With a camp force barrier on, any fugitive could only break out by going straight up. Hume gazed at him soberly, listened once more, and then went. Vi counted a slow five before he followed. The cabin across the corridor was open, just as Hume had promised. He slipped inside waited. Peek was coming now, the metallic plates on his space boots clicking in regular pattern of sound. He earned another ration container, and crooked it in his arm as he snapped up the lock bar on the other cabin. There was an exclamation of surprise. Vi went into action. His hand, backed by all the strength of his thrusting arm, thumped between Peek's shoulders, sending him staggering into the prison compartment. Before the other could recover either his balance or his wits, Vi had the panel shut, the bar locked into place. He ran down the corridor to the well ladder, swung down its rings with an agility born of necessity. Then he was in the airlock, getting his bearings. The flitter stood to his left, the flashing atom lamp, where the men were gathered, to his right. Vi stepped out on the ramp. He wiped his sweating hand across his thigh. There had to be no failures in the tossing of the flare pack. Choosing a spot, not directly in line with the lamp, but near enough to dazzle the men, he hurled it with all the force he could muster. Then he was running down the ramp, forward to the area of the ship. There was a flash, shouting. Vi curbed the impulse to look back, darted for the flitter. He jerked open the cabin compartment. SCRAMBLED INTO THE CRAMPED SPACE BEHIND THE PILOT'S SEAT, LEAVING THAT FREE FOR HUME'S QUICK ENTRANCE. MORE SHOUTING. NOW HE SAW THE LINES OF FIRE WAVERING FROM EARTH TO SKY ALONG THE BARRIER. A BLACK SHAPE PUT ON A BURST OF SPEED, WAS SILHOUETTED AGAINST THAT FLAMING WALL, THEN PASSED THE SPACER, GRABBED AT THE OPEN COCKPIT, AND SLID IN BEHIND THE CONTROLS. HUME PULLED THE LEVERS WITH FLYING FINGERS. They arose vertically at a pace, which practically slapped Vi's stomach up into the lower regions of his throat. The searing line of at least one blaster reached after them. Too slowly, too low. He heard Hume grunt, and they again leaped higher. Then the hunter spoke. Half an hour at the most. The safari camp? Yes. They no longer climbed. The flitter was boring forwards on a projectile flight, into the dark of the night. What are those? Vi suddenly leaned forward. Had some of the stars across the space void broken free from their fixed orbits? Flecks of light, moving in an arc, headed towards the speeding flitter. Hume hit a button. Again they rose in a violent leap above those wandering lights. But ahead, on this new level, more such dots flocked, moving fast to close in on the flyer. A straight ram course, Hume muttered, more to himself than Vi. Again the flyer drove forward in a rising thrust of speed. Then the smooth purr of the propulsion unit faltered, broke into protesting coughs. Hume worked over the controls, beads of sweat showing on his forehead and cheek in the gleam of the cabin light. Deading, deading out! He brought the flitter around in a wide circle. The purr smoothed out once more in a steady reassuring beat. "'Outrun them!' But Vi feared they were back again on the losing side of a struggle with the unknown alien power. As they had been herded along the river, so now they were being pushed across the sky, towards the mountain. The enemy had followed them aloft. Some core of stubborn will in Hume would not yet allow him to admit that. Time and time again he climbed higher, always to meet climbing, twisting, spurting lines of lights— which reacted on the engine of the flitter and threatened it with complete failure. Where they were now, in relation to Wask camp or that of the safari, Vi had no idea, and he guessed that Hume could not be too certain. Hume switched on the flitter's comm unit, tried a channel search until he picked up a click of signal, the automatic reply of the safari camp. His fingertip beat out in return the danger warning, then the series of code sounds to give an edited version of what must be guarded against. Was has a man in your camp. His skin is in just as much danger as the rest. He may not relay it to the patrol, but he'll keep the force barrier up and the sieves inside. Anything else would be malicious neglect and a murder charge when the Guild check tape goes in. This call is on the spacer tape now, and will be a part of that. He can't possibly alter such a report, and he knows it. This is the best we can do now. We're close to the mountains, aren't we? Do you know much about this part of the country?' Vi persisted. Hume's knowledge might be their only hope. Flew over the range twice. Nothing to see. But there has to be something there. If there is, it didn't show up during our survey. Hume's voice was dull with fatigue. You're a guild man. You've dealt with alien life forms before. The guild doesn't deal with intelligent aliens. That's XT patrol business. We don't land on any planet with unknown, intelligent life-forms. Why should we court trouble? Couldn't run a safari in under those conditions. X.T. certified Jamala as a wild world. Our survey confirmed that. Someone or something landed here after you left? I don't believe so. This is too well organized an action. And since we have a satellite guard in space, any ship landing would be taped and recorded— no such record appeared on the guild screens. One small spacer, such as Wasp could slip through by knowing procedure, just as he did. But to land all those beasts and equipment, they'd need a regular transport. No, this must be native. Hume leaned forward again, flipped a switch. A small red light answered on the central board. Radar worn off, he explained. So they wouldn't end up smeared against some cliff face, anyway which was only small comfort amid terrifying possibilities. Hume had taken the precaution just in time. The light blinked faster, and the speed of the flyer was checked as the automatic control triggered by the worn-off came into command. Hume's hands were still on the board, but a system of relays put safety devices into action with a speed past that which a human pilot could initiate. They were descending and had to accept that, since the worn-off— "'operating for the sake of the passengers "'had ruled that move best. "'The directive would glide the flitter "'to the best available landing. "'It was only moments before the shock gear "'did touch surface. "'Then the engine was silent. "'This is it,' Hume observed. "'What do we do now, if I wanted to know?' "'Wait. "'Wait? For what?' "'Hume consulted his planet-time watch "'in the light of the cabin. We have about an hour until dawn, if dawn arrives here at the same time it does in the plains. I don't propose to go out blindly in the dark." Which made sense, except that to sit here, quietly, in their cramped quarters, not knowing what might be waiting outside, was an ordeal Vi found increasingly harder to bear. Maybe Hume guessed his discomfort, maybe he was following routine procedure, but he turned, Thumbed open one of the side panels in Vi's compartment and dug out the emergency supplies. End of chapter eight.